Dice Company contains fantasy violence, mature themes, and unapologetic bickering. No feelings were hurt in the making of it, but listener discretion is advised. Dice Company will always be free, but it's not free to make. Please consider supporting us on Patreon or Apple Podcasts and get access to our weekly roundtable show Extra Roll. Just follow any of the links in the show notes for this chapter. Welcome one and all to Dice Company, where a group of old friends weave tales of triumph, heroism and despair under the guise of playing Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Tom and I'll be your DM through the continuing adventures of this party of snarky, passive-aggressive children. Snarky, passive-aggressive children, please introduce yourselves and give the audience one fun fact about your characters. His intros are getting longer, and I can't wait for the day he trips himself up. We'll point this out now. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> you came so close just then. Hello, I am Alex. I'm playing Augustus. And as suggested last week in jest, I'm doing my intro in the form of a haiku. Augustus thinks he's great, but he fears the voice's wrath. He hides his weakness. Oh my God, we're going back to ancient Japan for today's facts. Worrying. It was, it was quite nice, I would say. Quite nice. I wrote it myself using chat GPT. Yeah, going to edit that out, I think. <laughs> People get very funny about AI. I mean, what's not very good, so it's probably, you know, everyone who has a job that AI is coming for can be like, well, I could have written better than that. I'll give that, I'll give that a quarter. Fair enough. I, mean, I didn't do any work for it, so it doesn't deserve anything. Hello, I'm Dave, and I am playing Benny Quez, and here is my attempt at haiku. Look at Benny's hands, clean, well-kept, free from urine. This truth must prevail. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God damn it. You've absolutely nailed the haiku. (laughs) I presume you're all doing haikus. Well done, everyone. Uh, That was actually fantastic. That was actually fantastic. Augustus is jealous and AI is terrible. <laughs> Tok is feeling personally victimized by all this anti-AI sentiment. I think I, I think that the haiku in a Tok voice is going to uh, trump everything, to be honest. Yeah. Sadly, I started writing it well, like five minutes ago. So. <laughs> it really is a voice made for poetry, isn't it? <laughs> I'm Charlie and I play Vander Finnick. I also have a haiku, so here it is. A bowl of hot soup. Vander's simple joy in life. He sabers every slurp. I mean, it's accurate. <laughs> I quite like that as well. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was good. I mean, my problem is that it's haikus, isn't it? I warned you yeah. about doing haikus last week. No, you were right to. And here you are all with haikus. Does it mean we get rap battles next week? No. <laughs> 100%. Well, we, didn't think, we didn't think we were doing haikus this week, and then here we are. So. Uh, and for the cherry on top of the shit trifle. <laughs> Hi, I'm Harry. I'm playing Tok, and uh, I have my uh, haiku I wrote five minutes ago. Human or machine, Tok's mind churns, the choice unseen, future's path, a dream. All right. I don't mind that, actually. That was the best of the 20 that I got ChatGPT to write for me. Yeah. Thank you, (laughs) computer overlords. We take it all back. The the only person who's allowed to use AI is the person playing AI. (laughs) Weirdly, because I just chucked in all like the um, intros that I've written so far into it. And there's a lot of shit talking Vander in them for some reason. (laughs) Because Vander's basically a prick. Yeah. (laughs)
Even the computers recognise it. <laughs> it means he's, he's objectively a bad person. <laughs> it's definable on an algorithmic level. Exactly. A numeric binary can tell that he's a bad person. But were we meant to be doing fun facts as well? You can't have a fun fact and a haiku ready, can you, Charlie? This is so out of character. Uh, but the trend. I, I again didn't know about the haiku. Didn't think we were doing haiku. So I had a fun fact. I actually prepared something. Go on, chuck it in. Why not? Okay. Okay, so you may remember that Vander picked up a book in the last episode and he actually turns out to be quite a fan of the book Love and Lava, particularly of the main character, a person called Idaho James, an archivist who travels the continent hunting down rare artifacts and ensuring they get stored properly. In his latest adventure, he trekked through tunnels, festooned with lava at the centre of a jungle, and was able to return three magical stones and place them in size order in the museum. Uh, but Vanna really likes his character, and um, you may find that that comes out at some point. We just introduced Indiana Jones into our world. No, that's entirely original. Oh, sorry, it's Idaho James, not Indiana Jones. <laughs> As we all know, my naming conventions are second to that. <laughs> I can see a young Gary Pencil absolutely tearing through that book. <laughs> I was going to say, Mind Like a Steel Trap. <laughs> another exceptional storyline um, from me. That is enough of that nonsense. Let's crack on with the next chapter of Dice Company. We left off last time with you lot basking in the warm glow of friendship and teamwork. It lasted precisely one breakfast before you were back to squabbling and needling one another. Having decided to pursue a map marking the apparent location of the infamous Tomb of the Wanderer, you popped into Gearhead's workshop to collect the Dreamer wood to fix your airship, the Sterling, only to discover the pink-haired gnome being interrogated by Inspector McLeod, an aristocrat called Tiram Tamrace, and a member of the Shadow Vanguard. Tensions ran high and a fight broke out, which you all joined in on on the side of Gearhead, with only Benny showing apprehension. During the fight, a second Shadow Vanguard called Tiara appeared and magically teleported Tamrace to safety. With Gearhead mutilating the remaining Shadow Vanguard, Vanda interrogated McLeod, discovering that the Tamrace Foundation from Middleton were planning to claim the Steamrunner designs for themselves. Gearhead gave you the Jerima wood to fix the Sterling, and together you stepped out into the torrential rain of Slateholm. The streets are almost empty as you individually make your way to a few more shops before heading out of the city back towards the Sterling. With your belly still full of breakfast, you make your way along the long mountain path towards your airship. Alex, please roll a d20. Um, I think we did well to hold on to our breakfasts after someone's eyeballs were squashed in front of us. <laughs> You're tougher than you give yourself credit for. Wait for a second, you say we're basking in the warm glow of an eviscerated Shadow Vanguard. <laughs> Eleven. Your half-day journey passes without incident. Ooh, nice. So the journey is uneventful, and with the darkness of night threatening to engulf the area, you arrive at a small body of water where sits the Sterling, swaying from side to side under the barrage of the wind and rain. Under the rocky overhead nearby is what remains of the Quetzalcoatlus corpse, its meat nearly picked clean. You board the ship and head below deck where you find Plex, Nozzle and Otis sat around a large dining table. Each of them is dressed in tanned leather clothing similar to those worn by the people of Haven. 
Otis has what's looked like seaweed arranged on his head, which gives the impression of hair reminiscent of Kalen's. They turn to look at you as Rosalind appears from the kitchen. I've made us delicious meat stew. I know it's the same as we've had for days now, but... Oh, oh, you're back. Oh, I was worried something bad had happened. Rosalind, a pleasure to see you again, as Vanda comes in, obviously pleased to be back on the Sterling. I was feeling a bit homesick, Mr. Vander. Sorry, I'll, I'll get them out of the outfit. No, no, quite all right, Vander says, looking askance, shall we say, at the automatons. Sits down fairly awkwardly at the table, still observing them, and accepts his bowl of meat soup. I, mean, I think we need to be increasingly worried <laughs> about Rosalind. <laughs> did, we, did we bring anything back for her? Yeah, Tok specifically bought her food. I thought we did. Yeah, good. Lenny springs into the room barking Hooray! and rushes <laughs> from Benny to Tok to Augustus and then back to Benny. Augustus frowns. Ign- ignore the nasty man, Lenny. Ignore him. Come and have a... Beautiful role playing there. Thank you. That's why you've got me here. <laughs> you guys are heading into a long rest situation. So you have two days in game time where you are safe from attack. You can remain aboard the ship and you can do whatever it is you would like to do during your long rest. What would you like to do? Uh, well, immediately, as as uh, just after um, Benny comes to us, uh, Tok is going to approach Benny and uh, fish something out of his bag. And he'll say, uh, Benny, I have constructed a gift for Lenny to keep him safe on our adventures. And uh, he passes over some of the things you may have recognized before. It looks like a dog collar, but it's um, the uh, the gem. It's a tracking device. <laughs> that we went out and purchased. And uh, yeah, pass you uh, a dog collar to put, on to, um, to put on Lenny. Oh, that's really nice of you, Toc. Thank you. Look at this, Lenny. Look. Look what you got. It's a collar. A collar. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I put the collar... Onto onto Lenny. I said, "Talk." You, you said it's it's going to help keep him safe. How how does that work then? Augustus <laughs> leaves the room. He's so sickened by the scene that he goes. And maybe that's how he's being kept safe. It's got my name and phone number on it on the little <laughs> dangle. Yeah. Uh, Talk will uh, uh, click his fingers, or at least uh, approximately how he can, because it's uh, uh, not having actual fingers made of flesh. It more makes a dull thud, but he does so does a finger clicking motion, and uh, Lenny the dog uh, just disappears. Tok will say, uh, while within 100 feet of the extra-dimensional bag of holding, Lenny the dog may be stored in a safe location. Has he popped into has he popped into a bag? No, into a separate extra-dimensional space. Oh, of course. Yeah, obvious. Obvious now you say it. Separate extra-dimensional space. Oh, that's very good. Tok clicks, clicks his fingers again and Lenny the dog reappears at Benny's feet. Didn't someone say that when you're in the bag of holding, time passes really quickly? Or like, if we got stuck in there too long, weren't we going to be old men when we came out? <laughs> so how does that interplay with Sorry, dog I here? Gonna say, I was going to say it's Benny back, but now it looks like he's drunk from the wrong grail. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's some kind I've of crazy maths grey I can't do. Before. <laughs> if you put stuff in a bag of holding, any food spoils, any biological matter, basically... Um, goes away and uh, there's not very much air so humans i think would all suffocate basically within i think it was 10 minutes something I like think, that you know i mean i appreciate they are different but genetically speaking and in those conditions presumably the dogs aren't going to do too well given that they are 
biological matter that needs air. I mean, you don't want to put them in there and then forget how to click, do you? <laughs> no. Um, but uh, fortunately, he's in a safe space rather than a bag of holding. So, Has is, is Augustus left the room, did you say? Yeah, he's gone, yeah. He's absolutely disgusted by this whole situation. Where's my disappearing special collar? I say this is exciting, then, isn't it, lads? Because um, Lenny can travel with us now on his adventures. We haven't got to worry about what happens if we get into fights. We just pop him somewhere safe and bring him back after. I wonder if I can find Augustus letting know the good news. You hear a thump through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. Thank you, Toc. I'm very grateful. Vanda nice. stands up awkwardly from his chair and moves over to Toc, producing his heavy flintlock and holding it up to Toc. Toc, my friend, I am running light on the shelves for this. I was wondering if you might be able to help me with that. May I inspect the device? You certainly can. Vanda hands it over. I don't say start taking it to pieces. He's going to inspect it all over first. <laughs> He'll go quiet for a bit and start, yeah, like inspecting all the different mechanisms and parts of it. And he's going to take it down to his um, workshop absentmindedly, if not stopped. No problem. Vanda's happy with that. So Vanda wanders back away to look at the automatons. While you guys are deciding what to do, the automatons are going to start repairing the ship properly. What's the ETA on them getting us back in an airborne state? Let's say two days. <laughs> Plot convenient. I know. Always looking for plot convenient periods of time. What time of day is it? Yeah. Uh, it's currently evening, so about seven o'clock. I don't know how long it takes Toc to uh, to inspect the um, the flintlock, but afterwards he also has something to say to Vanda. You know, we'll find Vanda on the poop deck now, where all events in the Sterling take place. Drinking, uh, smoking an exotic cheroot, by any chance? Quite possibly. <laughs> Would that be near the mizzen? On the aft section of the ship. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. The DM learned about ships. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. This, this just got so compelling and rich. Ships are shipping for the win. <laughs> Augustus just keeled over. Sorry, interrupted. Showing off. Carry on. I hope there's more. What can Doc learn from the uh, from the flintlock? Can he can he make the um, more ammunition? It was more um, powder, I assume, for it. Yeah, give me an alchemist supplies check, please. Uh, and uh, Toc will uh, guide himself with his no. extensive, extensive knowledge of alchemy. Of course, of course. Uh, that is a 25. Tw- 25. Uh, 25. Yes, you successfully are able to recreate black powder to make <laughs> the gun go boom. I mean, do I do I have like a rocket launcher now? No, you do not. Oh, just checking. <laughs> uh, if also, uh, Tox's very interested by this device. I want to see if he can um, try and could he try and replicate one with further study. Mm, give me an investigation check. I've got no problem with that. Twenty-four. As you're looking carefully at the flintlock, you find a very small carved inscription or engraved inscription at the bottom, which reads. Property of Avaros. Ah, interesting. In terms of recreating the mechanics of it, you're not sure you currently have the capabilities, but with a few months' study, you reckon you might be able to replicate it or something similar. Interesting. Okay. Toc will return it to um, to Vander on the the poop deck. With uh, extra shells, I take it. Yeah. How how many extra shells could he make? Uh, You can add 20. Amazing. 20, okay. So yeah, Toc will return them and the uh, and the head for the dock and we'll say, uh, Panda, I have completed my inspections and constructed 20 shells. 
Oh, why, thank you, Tonk. Very kind, as Vanda takes back the flintlock and looks at what are clearly well-made pieces of ammunition. This is fine work, Tonk. Very much appreciated. If only I'd rolled so well on uh, combat rolls as well. <laughs> Since that's going on in your head, Vanda's not going to comment to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so you talk to um, Vanda, whilst inspecting the device, I noticed a rune on the lower side. It made reference to the Avaros. This is an archaic term for the Overross. My creators, 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 creator. Very interesting talk. I have to say I never met the maker of this weapon, though I do know where I picked it up. Is that your question? Yes. It was in my younger years when I was, well, in my former life, shall we say. I picked it up after a skirmish with the Empire's men. It was in the hands of a nasty captain who had been a thorn in our side for some time, and I took it at first as a memento of a battle won. Now, of course, it's a friend to me in tight situations. I'm afraid I know no more than that. With further study, I may be able to reproduce a copy of this device. You call it a heavy flintlock, correct? Vanda thinks about that. Yes, that is interesting. If you can, I might have some modifications I might suggest. I would find that acceptable. A pleasure as always, Talk. And uh, with that, Vanda produces one of the items he bought uh, as we left town. Uh, book two of Love and Lava, Desire Among the Relics, and begins reading about his amazing and completely unique character, Idaho James. <laughs> Before leaving, whilst <laughs> waiting, whilst Vanda's like reading the book, Vanda, you were Rojan. You had extensive knowledge of combat and the blade, correct? Vanda very slowly dog ears the page, <laughs> closes the book and turns back. Our talk, still here. Yes, I do have knowledge of the blade. I am new to the ways of violence. Really? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> May I request instruction, tutelage? Vanda takes a drag on his very exotic cheroot. I'm a bit worried we're creating a robotic sadist here. Vanda's <laughs> so much more than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> a non-robotic sadist, yeah. I think I can help in that department, Vanda says, smiling slightly evilly. I have, in my workshop, created a copy of Tick's blade and he will reach into the bag of holding and take out a what kind of looks like a longsword and uh it's sort of like so it's a longsword blade with a, a handguard a bit like a, a swept tilt like a rapier at the bottom of the blade there is like a section that is actually kind of glowing quite brightly quite brightly so it obviously the whole thing looks a bit like a, a magical weapon and he'll pass it over to to vanda to inspect vanda presumably struggles slightly with the weight of this weapon i would imagine so <laughs> Vanda, obviously pocketing his very important book <laughs> uh struggles under the weight of the weapon and looks very thoughtfully at something that at one stage would have been very natural in his hands as if he's far away another time in his life hands it back slowly to talk i always thought a spear wasn't a weapon for a true hunter this will do nicely i aspire to use it with competence I think that's an excellent starting point. 
Vandy, your passive perception <laughs> tells you that this sword is not a normal longsword as alluded to. This is a magical longsword. Talk, I can't help but notice this blade glows. I have heard of such things before, but in the past they have only glowed in the presence of certain malevolent creatures. Could you tell me more about the magical properties of the item? Out of character, it's one of the artificer infusions. Um, I still have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Thank you for this like secret <laughs> chat. That sounds like a posh gin to me. <laughs> there's a um, there's a bunch of class stuff with uh, artificers that it's actually uh, two things being combined. But um, in terms of how to describe that, does the DM know? I'm assuming you do. It's a plus one longsword. It's a plus one longsword, but the glowing bit is a um, the magical tinkering. It is a magical weapon constructed from mithril, or the glowing section is separate. It is produced by infusing steel with a crushed gemstone and a preparation of oils. Vanda looks sorry that he asked the question, but <laughs> replies, well, we can certainly use the pointy bit to end the lives of our enemies. Let's start there. Indeed. Tomorrow morning, then, talk on the poop deck, where all things take place. <laughs> <laughs> I find this acceptable. Vanda's straight back into his book. Benny would like to spend the two days hanging out with Lenny the dog, taking him for walks, reading his notes and journal, doing various reading up and jotting things down and noises of kind of muttering to himself coming from his room, occasional sort of bits of crashing about. <laughs> Sorry, he's muttering to himself and crashing about. <laughs> what is going on in there? From time to time. <laughs> That's mysterious. That doesn't seem very Benny-ish. Is he, is he is he practicing sneaking? Yeah, I was about to say, are we sure it's not very Benny-ish? <laughs> He's pressed up against the wall, like sneaking down one wall. <laughs> this kind of sneaking doesn't just pop out of thin air. You've got to sneak everywhere. <laughs> you have any idea the kind of work it takes to be quite as loud as I am on the approach? <laughs> you all just think Benny's a sneaky, shooty guy. Benny contains multitudes. Does. Yeah. Worlds. Um, layers. So Augustus has questions for almost everyone, but I don't exactly know how we go about that, whether we want to open up or some sort of conversation, like kind of out of, I, I guess I'm forcing you to. I hope that. you don't approach your real friends like this. <laughs> <laughs> just, just... I, I have questions. I need to approach you and maybe have some form of conversation. Is there anything Augustus can do that actually helps him like talk seems to have produced a weapon and is doing some training like is there a useful use of my time that helps augustus become more of a badass oh, i did i was in, i was interested in this idea of hitting people with the pointy end it's a technique we, we learned in the rojan now super revolutionary <laughs> okay yeah I'm, honestly i've cut my hand so many times trying to stab people with the handle <laughs> of a sword <laughs> actually one thing i would like to do is investigate the book and the gem that I received from the person Tok described as a hooker prophet. <laughs> that bit really makes me laugh every time I hear it, because Tom goes, hooker prophet? 
I had built a three-dimensional character. How dare you reduce her down to hooker profits? Outrageous. That's the most offended I've ever been playing D&D. And you guys commit war crimes every week. Uh, Yeah, is there anything that I can... I mean, I think she advised me to kind of use that to kind of note my progress. Uh, So maybe that's what the book's, book's for, in which case I'll definitely fill in the stuff about what that was a diary. Well, I, th- there was specific instructions for, you know, it's about my sort of religious journey, I suppose, which if you read my actual diary, you see doesn't contain a great deal of theology. <laughs> Plus, you're, you're obligated to call them a journal in d d in that, in that case, Augustus will use the journal given to him by the hooker prophet <laughs> to note down the odd experience, the voices in his head that he heard in the Temple of Tear. So the rest of us are going to use this to get him institutionalised, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I th- he might want to knock on Benny's door because I'm hearing a lot of mumbling and crashing around. <laughs> Augustus has picked up a book called Deities for Dummies and he is absolutely engrossed to the point that he doesn't hear all the mumbling and crashing around <laughs> happening in Benny's adjacent room. Mostly mostly muttering and swearing. Not a lot, not a lot of crashing. <laughs> Nothing like someone nicely muttering next door to get you off to sleep. Tok, was there anything that you wanted to do for yourself? Uh, oh, well, other than uh, doing some sword training, uh, some fencing training. Tok will do some alchemy things in his workshop, and he's going to, at some point, try and find some um, uh, mosquitoes or large flies from around the lake. Uh, give me a survival check, please. Uh, yeah, because he's not actually very good at that. So, And it's pouring with rain so mosquito hunting there was not ideal conditions i wouldn't say who goes mosquito hunting <laughs> hey, well mosquitoes can't bite him so he's fine right. <laughs> i'm not sure that was the problem no, exactly. just... for sure guiding himself on this with his uh knowledge of west mosquitoes would live okay yeah of course it's 13 <laughs> the habit <laughs> around bo- large bodies of water <laughs> benny augustus and vando as you're going about your day-to-day, each of you look out the side of the ship at different parts to see Tok running around on the shore in the pouring rain with a butterfly net. <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn to Augustus. Augustus, I think he's close to doing the unthinkable. That is how he got to the shore. He didn't like bother swimming or anything. He just jumped off the side and walked. <laughs> well, we all knew this day would come. You have successfully managed to capture, hunt, if you will, some mosquitoes. What a survivalist. (laughs) Only in this group would mosquito hunting be a thing. Not giant mosquitoes. (laughs) Just regular ones. Regular mosquitoes. So yes, you have a collection of small bugs. Awesome. Okay, he'll go back to his workshop and continue his mysterious um, alchemy. I'll just say that you guys spend the following morning. I've got I've got a lesson ready. Oh, uh, go on, go on then. I'm taking Lenny for a walk. I don't I don't want any no interest in this. Can I come with you, please? <laughs> <laughs> the, the weird spirit that is the DM goes for a walk, and therefore the world in which Tok and Vanda are training ceases to exist. <laughs> I happen to like Lenny the dog as well. I would happily spend time with him. We're about to have a training montage. We are. <laughs>
as you uh, get onto the poop deck in the very early hours of the morning, you find Vanda already up there wearing loose robes and sat cross-legged at the end of the poop deck. Okay, uh, Top will approach and um, he's going to leave his, his bag and heavy things in the in the court. So he'll approach and sit cross-legged in front of Vanda. And both sit in silence temporarily while Vanda breathes deeply. Vanda, you are awake. Yes, Tok. Are you ready for your lesson? I am ready. Excellent. Then we will begin. There are two lessons you will learn today. The first is that all sword fights take place on two levels. A battle in physical space and a battle in mental space. To prepare you for the second of those two battles, we need to first prepare your mind. And with that, Vanda reaches over and casts Mind Spike. <laughs> my target, my target. I thought this was just going to be some nice wax on, wax off. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> with some 80s music blaring in the background, I didn't realize this was going to be an assassination attempt. You <laughs> <laughs> missed the scene where Mr. Miyagi kills Daniel son. <laughs> my target is Tox current ability with his spear. I think if we can eradicate that, we might improve his role. You're trying to kill his crapness at spearing. I, I, I've watched up closely. I think this is the the best first step. You have to find it first. Give give me <laughs> uh, give me an attack roll. Tok is uh, is is trusting Vanda, so he's not uh, not exactly resisting or uh, twenty three. Glad you didn't crit. Roll for damage, please. Perfect. A one. <laughs> <laughs> That is surgical precision. Tuck, you you feel a sudden sharp pain in the nerve centres of your brain. Specifically, you see flashes of images of the spear and shield. And the big word delete, flashing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Vanda releases Mind Spike. Now, Tuck, search your memories for your knowledge of the spear. Vanda, there appears to be something worrying. I cannot access those memories. Excellent then you are learning, my friend, and we can truly begin. And with that, he asks Tok to stand up and they begin their first lesson. And this is where the 80s music comes in, after the <laughs> full frontal lobotomy. I just want to point out, I was a little bit worried about that. I thought I might have lobotomized Tok. Well, Tok had taken some damage uh, uh, in the fight before, so that wasn't entirely without risk. This is the debate amongst our fans. Is Vander a good guy or a bad guy? Really Dude. tough to tell. Very shades of grey. Huge respect to the optimism of the fans who think Vander might be a good guy. <laughs> Those people can see the good in literally anything. The people's champion. Why did one person compare us to the Musketeers and uh, and Vanda to Cardinal Richelieu? <laughs> that was unnecessarily evil. Just for the official record, who are the Musketeers? <laughs> Dumbass. No, there'll be no more hype. We've already done haikus. We're not doing French literature. Moving on. Would anyone else like to do anything during this long Shipping rest? podcast. By Alexandre Dumas. <laughs> Uh, if we stick to musker hounds, that'd be acceptable. <laughs> quality programming. It is quality programming. And uh, stop trying to distract the DM. Does anyone want to do anything else? Watch Dog Tanyon. Oh, actually, Tok does want to do one other thing, which is investigate that silver medallion he picked up from the liquefied Shadow Vanguard. You mean investigation check? 22. After careful study of the medallion, uh, you realise that it is not magical at all. It's actually a method of identification. Interesting. 
I, mean, I was going to say talk all uh, wait for whenever we have dinner and show it to everyone and explain that. Do I know enough about the poison leaves that I picked up to do anything useful with them? Give me a nature check, please. You can poison yourself with them quite easily. 18. After much study and practice, you're able to grind them down into a kind of liquid which can be applied onto arrows. Okay, are we done with your unbearable nonsense? <laughs> I should think so. <laughs> and that was the end of the podcast. It's weird to just call it off halfway through episode 11. <laughs> As the first rays of dawn pierce through the darkened clouds, your group stirs from their restful slumber aboard the airship. The wind howls and the rain pelts against the deck, creating a symphony of nature's fury. The air is thick with damp chill and the sound of the rain blends with the creaking of the ship's timbers and the distant rumble of thunder. What would you like to do? We definitely want to go towards the X on the map. I've got a rope. Yeah. I've got various bits and bobs. I've got uh, pitons and I've got a grappling hook and I've got... I've got new garb as well. Uh, I've changed wardrobe. I am now wearing a three-quarter length duster, a fedora, um, brown trousers, boots, and I wear a whip on my hip. From Rui Costas or somewhere else? <laughs> uh, no, it's not high quality uh, as that, I'm afraid. Uh, but we are going adventuring, and I intend to fully enjoy myself. <laughs> Looks like you got them from Andre Silenzi's. Fanda <laughs> <laughs> tips his fedora. <laughs> With resolve in your hearts, question mark, you disembark onto the craggy path ahead. The rocky terrain is slick with the rain, making each step treacherous. Are you sure you wish to continue towards the X on the map? No, I, I still get stressed about the door where the guy told us to go away and we didn't go in, so I'm definitely not not going towards the X on the map. As we're walking along, I want to talk to Benny. Benny, I hope you don't mind me picking up the subject we discussed yesterday that you were perhaps slightly reluctant to talk about. But I wondered whether your apparent concern before the battle yesterday related to the appearance of the Tamrace man and also whether his connection to Middleton is a connection to you and whether the scar on your face is also somehow bound up in that tale. Tell you what, Augustus, I think that's the uh, the most you've ever deigned to talk to me in one go, so thank you for that. It's, it's a privilege and an honour. <gasps> Wowza! I love it. Continue. <laughs> thank you for, you know, waiting till we're no longer ankle, ankle deep in gore before asking me. And, and, yeah, the answer, to be honest, after a period of reflection, seems pointless trying to hide it. I don't know him well. We've met once, but um, I knew his brother, at least. You could say we were friends there for a while. The Tamrace family, as you've, you've probably worked out, are pretty aristocratic, so you may wonder why I was friends with his brother, but Leith didn't, didn't really fit in with the aristocrats, and he, he sadly ended up falling in with a bad crowd, of which I was one. We were mates, and, you know, you he, he were kind of in, ran with the same group I did, and... Yeah, we we were sort of trying to make something of ourselves in the in the criminal world, if you like. Then Leith decided maybe he'd have a go at making something of himself without me, and decided I was no longer necessary. And that's where the that's where the scar comes from. 
It's also why Leith has only got one ear now, because he didn't come out on top of that one. But He tried to kill you? He had a little try. Why? He were ambitious and he thought maybe I was going to uh, block his progress. I, was, I think he saw me as his sort of trusty lieutenant who might stab him in back one day, which uh, admittedly had crossed my mind, and decided to get his, his stabbing it back in first. I imagine he's sold quite a pretty story to his family, and I dare say if they came across me, they might be interested in chopping me up into little bits. So I'd prefer to not encounter the Tamrace family or anyone from Middleton, for that matter. I see. Well, thank you, Benny. It's very enlightening, and I yeah, quite understand your concern at meeting that person. It must have been quite a surprise so far from Middleton. Wasn't expecting to hear the name Tamrace near Inovic. And what did you make of his position? I must admit I'm somewhat baffled by exactly what his relation was to the people he was with. They seemed to be simultaneously his protectors and also perhaps his captors. Well, Tamrace family, pretty powerful, high up in empire, got pals in high places. And uh, I would anticipate that Shadow Vanguard had been told to keep him safe. As you might have noticed, he wasn't he wasn't right up for a fight. So I think probably, you know, I don't think he was a captive. I think they just decided that they needed to take charge of the situation because he wasn't going to sort it out for himself. Yes, makes sense. Thank you, Benny. And I'm, yeah, I'm sorry you've suffered in this way. Seems many in this party have had a rough road to this point. But if Tamrae's family are heading towards Ovik, that might mean troublesome times for me. Well, it seems difficult for any of us to hang around in Ovik or certainly in Slateholm for very long. Perhaps we can leave it behind us and that'll be good for everybody. Yeah, I would second that idea. Apart from the poor DM who put loads of work into it. That was lovely. (laughs) You guys do what you want. I'm on your side now. Let's fucking do this. Let's go. Wherever you want to go, I'll make it up. Uh, uh, So out of of character, I'm pretty sure that the Tamarith people are probably trying to steal the Steamrunner tech from from Slatehome. I'm assuming that's why they're there. As you trudge forward, the landscape transforms before your eyes. Jagged peaks loom overhead, shrouded in thick mist and low-hanging clouds. Torrents of water cascade down the mountainside, creating impromptu streams. The path itself is uneven and obscured by mud and debris, demanding your full attention to avoid missteps. After what feels like an eternity of battling the elements, the rain begins to relent and the wind subsides slightly. In the distance, you spot a rocky outcropping that seems to mark the journey's end. As you draw closer, keeping an eye on the map, Vander, you discern a subtle irregularity in the stone, a barely noticeable, unadorned and unassuming entrance into the heart of the mountain itself. Gentlemen, I believe we've reached the proverbial X. And Vanda points in the direction of the concealed entrance. Negotiating the slippery rocks, you see that the entrance is a steep downward path, the rocks glistening with a deluge of rainwater, echoing sloshing sounds coming from the far distance. Can I have dexterity checks, please? Oh, God. Uh, Would athletics be a useful skill here? I will allow athletics if you would prefer. And if you have mountaineering gear specifically, you can roll at advantage. Do pitons count? They do. Six for athletics from Augustus. Trips over his own face. (laughs) 16 for Vanda. 11 for Benny. 18 for Tok. Bit embarrassing for Augustus. Vanda (laughs) skips up the stones. Augustus falls over. Using your variety of mountaineering equipment, Benny 
Tok and Vander, surprisingly, are able to very carefully negotiate their way down into the heart of the mountain. Augustus, equipped with the finest gear Slateholm has to offer, puts one foot on the rock, slips, and immediately starts to fall. Can I have strength saving throws from the other three, please? Good luck. Oh, God. (laughs) Nine. 21. 14. So Augustus, having slipped, he begins to fall at high speed. Fortunately, the combination of Tok and Vander combine to push him quickly against the wall of the cavern, stopping his descent and allowing him to regain his footing as you, as a group, all make it down safely. Augustus has a flashback of being thrown against the wall of a cavern by a giant octopus. At the bottom of the cave entrance is a stone doorway. It's open and you can feel a cool breeze coming from the other side. Oh, who's happy about this cavern then? Banda's uh, got his book out again. Augustus is looking distinctly uncomfortable. The breeze may indicate a second entrance or opening. Shall we investigate further? I mean, we've walked now in the rain to get here, so might as well. I'm going to get my hooded lantern out. As we'll talk. I'm going to be super awesome and I'm going to pick up a discarded stick, which happens all caves like this. There's always a discarded stick and a rag. And then I'm going to soak the rag and try and make an awesome flaming torch. Soaking the rag in water. (laughs) (laughs) Soak the rag in water and make an awesome flaming torch. Give me a survival check at disadvantage, please. Disadvantage being that your character is role-playing Indiana Jones. (laughs) Uh, Wait there, what does that mean? Nine? You attempt to tie a rag around a stick and set it alight. Unfortunately, the heavy rainfall has made everything sodden. And so the chance of you lighting something that isn't specifically designated to be a light source would be a struggle. I give up, I guess. Oh. Colvision's over whilst he's struggling with a uh, a small vial of oil from his pack. He'll sprinkle it on the rag, which will then start to glow for five foot bright light and five foot dim light on top of it. Yeah, Vanda looks in brief wonder at the light and then turns to Tok with a look, a very rare look of genuine happiness. Thank you, Tok. It is nothing. I may produce such oil at will. Vanda doesn't quite know how to say that. Then he tuts and shakes his head. Um, in which order are you going in? I, mean, I think I can guess who's going first. Va- Vanda's going to start because I'm, I'm encouraged by my flaming stick and I'm still really into my, my character at the moment. Benny, amazed that someone else has taken the initiative, decides to let him get on with it and takes a step into the second rank. Uh, who is joining Vanda in the front rank? Tok will go in the front rank. Entering the open doorway, you find yourself in a neat stone corridor. Slightly ahead of you, about 10 feet to the left, is a turning with a warm glow of light coming from it. Ahead of you, you can see large wooden spinning tops equipped with rusty blades. They are all stood still. Augustus, what were your rhyme again about Tomb of the Wanderer? Were there any clues in it? You know, the one you memorised. Benny, good question. Luckily, I committed this to memory. Beneath the earth, a tomb of old, Elias the Wanderer's secrets hold. His sorcerer's might, a beacon bright, a treasury of knowledge of endless light. Yet beware the shadows that do deceive, false places where tricksters weave. Choose the path with utmost care, Elias's true legacy lies hidden there. Well, what do we take from that? Someone as light, light and shadow seems to be keyed onto it. I think it means trickery is afoot, and that 
what appears to be dangerous may not be, whilst what appears to be safe is not. Tempted to follow follow lines. If only we could uh, find a way of looking around this corner without exposing ourselves to uh, danger. If only someone had bought a mirror with Indeed. them. Oh. I, I'd say for now, gentlemen, let us interpret this poem literally and take great care of any places that are cast in shadow. Agreed. Shall I edge forward and have a look around the corner using my mirror? Sounds like a plan. And stick my mirror out and see what I can see. With the mirror attached to a knife, you just bend it around the corner to have a look. Uh, You can see, stood in an empty room, is a human man with light brown hair and a gingerish beard. He's wearing a navy blue woolen coat and a knowing smile on his face. Around him is a faint, shimmering green energy. What are my kind of impressions of that? Give me an insight check. 14. After having travelled with Tok and seen what you've seen in the underworld before your travels, you get the impression that there isn't actually a person there. This looks like perhaps a projection or some kind of arcana. Around the corner, there's what appears to be a man, but I don't think there's really a man there. Some sort of, some sort of trickery. I would agree. It would be difficult for one to find sustenance in such a place. Proceed with caution, then, appears to be the path. Well, yes, and beware the shadows. Perhaps these false, if it is a false image of a person, that's the shadow that we need to be aware of. So let's take great care about whatever it tells us, if anything. Maybe um, maybe the talkers in the group need to be up front for this one. Strides forward. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'm happy to wander around. And Augustus, I guess, if that's uh, it feels like Vander and Augustus are up for this one. Um, as you approach the man in the blue coat, he begins to speak. Hello there. If you see me, then we can conclude two things. One, I have passed on. Two, you are talented and powerful adventurers. Welcome to my solitary resting place. Within the walls of this establishment are a number of powerful arcane items and tomes. To reach them, you must overcome a series of trials, which will test your mental acuity, your physical prowess, and your wisdom. Most will fail, sadly. Are you sure you wish to proceed? Yes. Fascinating. Well, good luck. And with that, he vanishes. Wow, we should. <laughs> we maybe should have asked him a bit more. <laughs> okay. Well, if I. I didn't because it sort of felt like a kind of recorded message, didn't it? Yeah, that's true. I feel like I feel like we might have the, the speed at which the DM removed the character makes me feel like there was stuff that we could have found. You guys are in the tomb. You have been spoken to by some kind of apparition slash projection slash arcane something or other i think i think the dm should take one damage for over slashery we assume this is elias the wanderer slash shut up (laughs) you're in an empty room what would you like to do can we kill the dm you can certainly try is there any exit to this room that's not the way we came in there are no other exits or entrances from this room than the one you came through he literally said that there were artifacts and things in the walls though didn't he he said within these walls. Within the walls. Oh, okay. Not in the walls. <laughs> Is this Tok being literal again? <laughs> Tok's another <laughs> yeah. one of his nuances. <laughs> Quick, check the walls, everyone. Let's get out of here. It feels to me like we need our uh, strongest people forward. I think that would be Tok 
and probably Augustus with shield. Let's go forward as a little uh, Roman, what's that thing? Tarantula? What's the little Roman? Tetsudo. Tetsudo. Um, let's go forward like that slowly because it seems like those spinning disc things down the way are potentially a bit scary. Yep. Yeah. So do we have to go round these spinning discs? Like we want to. No, no they, they, these are obvious traps, but they appear to be inert. Hmm. Um, mm. Should we get someone who's good at detecting traps to see if there's a uh, trigger anywhere, like a uh, pressure plate on the floor, etc.? You think we're just about to step into a mincer where the on switch is in the middle? Of why course, would someone. Can. Why would someone build a mincer with the on switch in the <laughs> middle? Ask Tesco's Al. <laughs> can I have a look to see if there are any obvious traps anywhere? Would that be investigation? Uh, that would be a perception check. Thirteen. While there are obviously a series of traps in front of you, they look like they've been sprung already. You can't see any noticeable trip wires or pressure plates or anything like that, which would set them off. Talk being the most resilient, can I suggest you start us off in this uh, next walk of glory? Talk will uh, will carefully move forwards. He's going to use his uh, his spear to tap the ground in front of him to see, if, like, check for like pressure plates on the floor, etc. Vanda nods approvingly at this new and exceptional use of the spear. Ahead of you, you can see two doors on the left-hand side. One 10 feet away, one 25 feet away. The corridor seems to continue on for 40-odd feet. I guess Tok will go and check the next door, the first door. Is this more of a, uh, a choice for uh, for Benny? The door is unlocked. Screw it, I'll open it. There is a very long corridor. Toki's gonna not stand in the middle in case there's some kind of like bolt or something that's gonna get thrown in the, through this door by opening it. Okay, ahead of you is a long uh, corridor, and at the end of it is a metal rectangular spike trap. The trap has been sprung and lies on the floor, spiked down. It should be easy to climb over. I'll relay that to the others. Do we want to go down here or? I think so. Let's follow the sprung traps to start with. We might find our way to whatever the the end of the line is. Let's take the path of least resistance. Well, why don't we have a peek through the other door first and see what's what? Okay, I guess having suggested it, I suppose I should. Let's have a little check for traps, if I may. Yep, give me another perception check. Seven, no traps. No traps. Perfectly safe. Perfectly safe, it's unlocked. Okay. Behind the second door is another long corridor, but instead of a fallen spike trap, there is a very obvious pit trap with a 20-foot drop. Like before, the trap has been revealed, but the hole is empty. Does it look possible to go around it, or is it...? No, you would have to leap over it. I reckon, go down your corridor, Tok. There's a trap in here that's been sprung, but it's still got a massive pit, which we could still break our necks in if we you know, didn't leap over it properly, I reckon. I reckon first door's probably the best option. Uh, Tok will start making his way down the uh, the small corridor pretty carefully. Yeah, it's a very narrow corridor. Obviously. I'll clamber over the... Well, actually, I'm going to try and investigate this trap just to make sure it is definitely sprung and isn't a different trap yeah. in disguise. Give me give me a perception check, please. 22. Is that a natural 20? That's the second of the session. Uh, normally, these kind of traps are suspended 
to the ceiling with rope. This one appears to have like a piston-like device, like coil that takes it back up to the roof. And um, it has definitely been sprung, and there you can find no evidence whatsoever of it being reactivated if you were to touch it or clamber over it. Okay, Talk will climb over and take a look at the next room. Beyond the sprung trap is a simple room. It is empty other than two circular stone basins. Inscribed on the wall near the entrance is the following phrase in common. Without this, you'll suffer plight. It's made from the hour before night. No legs, but a tail and a head present to us an onward lead. Across the room from you is a door. Without this, suffer plight. Made the hour before night. No legs, but a tail and a head present to us an onward lead. Hmm. What happens the hour before night? Ten minutes later. I mean, no legs but a head and tail sounds like a coin. Um, the hour before night, dusk. Golden hour. A golden coin. A golden coin. We do have golden coins. <laughs> Two coins, one for each basin. Oh, this place is expensive. It's worth a go, isn't it? Not going to do any harm. We can always pick him up on the way back. Okay, Vanda moves to uh, one of the basins and drops a gold coin into it. Likewise, Augustus. Please remove a gold coin from your inventory. You each place the golden coin into the stone basin. It begins to spin and then very quickly melts and disappears. You hear a voice echo around the room. Oh, very good. I'm impressed. Keep up the good work. Really, I'm on your side in all this. And the door clicks open. You know, I'm not sure I like that guy. You may enter. In the room beyond, you discover a horrific sight. A chest has been smashed to pieces, but it appears to be filled with the remains of a long purple tongue, smashed teeth, and pierced eyes. Can I have a nature check, please, Augustus? 13. It was a DC 10. Very good. Uh, This is a dead mimic. Normally after death, they will melt back to their normal grey ooze-like substance. The fact it's in in this state means it's only died within the last three days. Alongside it is an open and empty chest. Gentlemen, I think the evidence is that this creature must have died within the last few days. Can anyone think of who else might have been attempting to clear this tomb ahead of us? Um, We know of only one man who was already in the mountains. Yes. Uh, The pit fighter. What was his name? Bardle Schultz. Bardle Schultz. Well, obviously, you've also got to bear in mind that I did nick this map off someone, so they might have memorised it. Seems like the kind of thing you keep in your mind, isn't it? I can't remember what what carriage it were in 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 Steam right now. Well, let's suppose be prepared to meet anyone from the Steam Runner, apart from... Inspector McLeod. Can I get uh, survival checks from each of you, please? 14. 17. 19. 24. All of you, having seen the destroyed chest in this room, begin looking around, and you all notice humanoid-sized footprints. Uh, You also find fibres from a leather shirt. A leather shirt, the traditional wear of the local village. Bardle Shorts is suggested again, I think. Do you want to have a bet, Vander? My money is it's not. Bardle. A wager? I'll bet you a gold coin. Why not? You're on, Benny. All right, then. Gold coin says it's not Bardle. And uh, flips a gold coin and then catches it again. Augustus writes this in a small book, because I believe the, <laughs> I believe aristocrats take wagers extremely seriously. <laughs> are the, um, the footsteps leading onwards? They are. Toc will uh, take the lead. 
Uh, Dom, for some reason, I'm not seeing any light around my character. Have I failed to switch on a lamp in some way? Yeah, I don't think you have a lamp, do you? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Well, the surroundings are pitch black, so you'll need to stick with people who have light in order to see. Well, this is a horror film in the making, isn't it? I was going to say, similar to uh, to Vanda, if um, if Augustus doesn't have any um, anything glowing on him, he'll pass him a, a small glowing crystal from his pack. Okay, uh, so this room is split by a step running through the centre. It has multiple entrances and exits. In the southeast corner of the lower step is a small campfire that has been extinguished. There is also a bedroll. This looks like it would be a smart place to rest. Can I have an investigation check, please? Talk. 27? Will that do? Oh is that is that another natural twenty? <laughs> That's another natural twenty. Oh Solves the JFK assassination. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Stubbed out on the floor near to the extinguished campfire are the butts of some exotic cheroots. I will uh, show them to uh, to the party and say, uh, "My olfactory sense recognizes this as the same cheroots that Vanda smokes." Or a quality, I think, but yes, broadly the same. Are these a widespread? I was about to say, you know that they're not widespread and they are not lesser quality. They're exactly the same quality. Okay, exactly the same quality. I'm going to do investigation check. For what purpose? <laughs> I want to know if they're literally my, if someone's been on my ship. I like that it's your ship, not the team's ship. <laughs> Someone has been on Vander's personal <laughs> um, uh, ten. They look very similar to yours. You can't tell if they're exactly your stash. These are some of the finest, most quality rolled exotic cheroots I have ever seen, gentlemen. Possibly ones from my own stash. We must consider the possibility that someone has taken these from the sterling itself. Or it's Rosalind that's been here. <laughs> that's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> That's one possibility, but uh, <laughs> can I just rule out this? This may be a stupid line of questioning, but is it possible within the mechanics of this game that Vander has been here before us? From from a mechanical point of view, yes, that is possible. But it would be high level magic to make that happen. Okay, so basically, I can't. I, sh I don't need to bother suspecting Vander at this point. I mean, you can if you want. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Tok, also, as you're looking around, you notice that the door to the southwest, uh, there is another spike trap, but this time with the spikes pointing up. It looks like there are holes in the floor that would allow spikes to jut out suddenly, but they are up. It has been triggered. Can I do an investigation of traps in the room? You can do a perception. Yep. 16. Uh, there, there are no sign of any untriggered traps. Can I have a look at this sprung trap? Obviously, the, the spikes are, are out. Would it? Does it look like you could do yourself some damage if you tried to climb over them? You're quite a master of traps, so you don't need to do a roll for this. You could easily negotiate your way through that. There's nothing to worry about in terms of damage from the sprung trap. From across the other side, down the corridor, you can see a pressure plate which has been shattered. So we um, follow in our rule of sprung traps, mark the, mark the way. In that case, it's this one. There's a door over there that doesn't seem to be a trap attached. What do we reckon, lads? Lead on, Benny. All right, then. Ahead of you is a large room. To the eastern end is a statue of an angel, behind which is a stone door. To the northwest corner of the room is a raised platform, which you're stood upon, in the centre of which is a large square cobblestone that looks different to the rest. 
uh, you hear a voice that you have not heard before emanating from the stone angel. Well met, strangers. You must answer these questions three to progress. Which element of the arcane is the most powerful? Everyone's looking at Tok. Just you know, just in terms of how how the characters are. I'm assuming everyone's looking at Tok right now. <laughs> not not at the party's wizard then. um okay (laughs) elements of the arcane i mean what are the anyone know what the elements of the arcane are uh it doesn't like strictly ring a bell in terms of like there are schools 10 minutes later which is probably the one I'm going for here because it's the most of like the throwing fireballs one. Did you just tell me that all the schools of magic have a bunch of spells in them? <laughs> He's a master. Oh, my <sighs> God. This it's changes magic. everything. There is there isn't one that's most powerful. Well, the thing is, this is our first dungeon in Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm a bit worried that our first dragon might appear shortly as well. I, I know it probably feels like your first dungeon, but it's actually your second dungeon. The first one you refused to enter until you were attacked outside there was, of it. There was a voice politely telling us to leave. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we nearly got killed by literal just bats. Not magical bats, just bats. <laughs> uh, does anyone want to hazard a guess? Because otherwise I'm going to try a smart aleck answer. Ten minutes later. Why, of course, the school you belong to. Well, reason. Question two. To preserve arcane secrets, would you protect with gold or iron? Like in folklore, there's a tradition that iron, um, especially cold worked iron, uh, uh, disrupts magic and especially like fey and um, demons. But obviously gold is gold. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's so difficult gold. to tell when Hazmat is in the Arcana and, just, and when he's talking like Goldfember. <laughs> Ten minutes later, uh, can we just cheat and say both? A well-reasoned answer. The third and final question: Which three gods form the triumvirate? God, you've got deities for dummies. That feels like a page one. Uh, I didn't bring my library with me. So there's, um, it's definitely going to be, uh, it's definitely going to be, uh, so Isidore. Can I just tell completely, this is relevant, this is relevant. I drove across the US with Hazmat and he had to give me directions. <laughs> and and, and you think looking at a map, you could do it. This is exactly how that felt. <laughs> It felt like being in the grips of a whimsical story being told by someone who didn't actually want to tell you the story. That is, that, Which that way do I go at this junction? Yeah. Answer me these three yeah, riddles. Exactly. <laughs> there are deities ahead of you. Just tell me. Each path carries its own benefits. <laughs> a great and terrible prize awaits you. Ten minutes later. From my memories of the law of this setting, I believe that there was a um, there was a war essentially between uh, uh, the god of life and death. So, god of death being called death. Uh, Isidore is the god of life. I think so. The other sort of major powerful deities are Landolin and Logorat. I want to say, but I can't remember exactly. And Kale, the god of war, who was on the the baddie side. And then there was some some neutral deities as well. Ten minutes later. 
Can I suggest that we've because Tyr was the one the temple we were in, and it feels like Kale is important because we're in the Kalian Empire, and then Isidore keeps cropping up. We go for those three because we've basically got the goodies, the baddies, and the mysterious middle, the Goldilocks trio of. I'm going to go for another smart Alec answer if you guys don't want to throw. I'm happy with um, Augustus's guess, but I think we should. Well, you might well be in his Deities for Dummies book if he wants to read it. <laughs> Did he say he didn't bring it with him? Or? DM, I'm happy to open Deities for Dummies if that helps. <laughs> I love, sorry, a Stone Angel asked this question. We surreptitiously open <laughs> Deities for Dummies. Ten minutes later. Uh, so Augustus will say Isidore, Kale, and Tyr. The door clicks unlocked. Just seems so unlikely. I think we should approach <laughs> we that right. door with extreme caution. She told us we were right on the other two. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the open door could be, come into my room full of lava. Let's uh, maybe, uh, talk. you're our uh, walking tank. Go open the door. I mean, what, the one we think that's got lava behind it? <laughs> Benny, I hope you know that you're you're actually the second worst position in the group because you get put in if we think there's danger, but if we absolutely know, then we switch up the top. Well, but if... Oh, it's certain if, death, Tom. If, well, no, if it was certain death, we'd put in Vander because he's, you know, he's <laughs> almost dead already. Can I have a, go, have a little look and see if I can spot any any traps? Give me a perception check. Five. There are no traps. I reckon you're all right, Tok. I can't. I can't see out. Uh, it's, it's definitely. Ah, uh, oh, screw it. Okay, Tok will open the door gingerly and, like, again, not stepping in front of the door when he does it. The room appears empty ahead of you. Uh, any? Can I see anything in the room? Entering the room beyond the door, uh, it appears to be empty, save for a grandfather clock. On the front of the clock is a circular red button. Does it say launch nukes on it? It looks like a kind of deep red wood. And I notice there are stairs at the other end of the room, is that? There are, that lead up to a, a small corridor, small but wide corridor. Um, Tock will investigate the, uh, the grandfather clock. Cool, give me an investigation check. A 14 for investigation. Uh, as you begin to investigate, the stone door behind you slams shut. Ah, Beyond that, the current hands of the clock are both pointed at the 22, the hour position. So the eight on the face. I'm not reassured by this. No. Uh, so obviously, should we try to see that door, that stone door, whether it's open? I suspect it's going to be locked. Go on, then I'll, I'll try the door. The door is locked and there don't appear to be any handles for you to try and pry it open. It is made of thick stone. Does it look, does it look like there's a mechanism in, inside, like ticking? It said you said it's not ticking. But it's not like, ticking. It's making no sound. It's not moving. Any mechanisms inside are still. I mean, to clarify, we're stuck in a room with a non-ticking clock, but it's got a big button on it. I've I've got an itchy button pressing finger. So we can't go up these steps. You can. You can walk up the steps. So ahead of you is a two wide corridor. There is an open door area to the left. As you peer in, you can see. Two chests, one in each corner. I think this might be time for uh, some of more capabilities than talk. Capabilities at, at what? Uh, investigating traps and uh, avoiding them. Okay. Can I have a dexterity saving throw, please, from Benny? Feels like a big roll, Benny. One of these is probably a mimic, isn't it? 13. As you begin to step, set foot into the small room, 
you suddenly notice in the 10-foot square area in front of you a very fine, almost imperceptible sheen. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Before you is a large gelatinous cube. Directly in front of me. Whoa! Thanks to your dexterity, you're able to avoid stepping into the gelatinous cube. But as you step back, the clock begins to tick. And we'll end it there. Excited to see what the crossover between flamingo science enthusiasts and D and D enthusiasts is. I bet it's absolutely I mean, massive. massive. I bet it's, really massive. Massive. I bet it's near it's one to one. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't even see that it's two circles. It looks like an eclipse. <laughs> yeah. There's just one dude who loves flamingos so much that he's got no time for anything else. Yeah, the, you'll find that the most biggest criticism is the lack of flamingos in our podcast. <laughs> I don't know where it was coming from, but I've got back here first we see and my headphones in and every now and again there's just a brief clip of audio of someone speaking and it's like it, and it's thunder then there's a little clip of Augustus but everyone's mic was on mute I've no idea where it's coming from it was quite creepy if there are voices in my head that's one thing but if there are voices in my head and they're Alex and Charlie I'm, I'm not interested in that <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please consider supporting Dice Company on Patreon, where for the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to a whole other show, Extra Roll, as well as an ad-free listening experience. The Dice Company Discord server, along with our socials, can be found on our link tree in the show notes. If you enjoyed this chapter, please like and subscribe, and don't forget to recommend us to your friends. If you didn't like it, recommend us to your enemies. And we'll see you next time on Dice Company. Dice Company.